welcome to episode 3 of doing being doing we have so far finished two episodes and it's been quite a learning experience for me i hope you all are also enjoying this process as much as i am there is just so many beautiful stories that are coming out in this conversations we are getting to meet such inspiring facilitators who facilitate in very very diverse contexts uh and of course if you're following following us on social media whether it's on linkedin or instagram you you might see that there's a lot of resources and tools that we sometimes summarize and share with all of you so on this episode 3 i intend to unpack something that i have often felt really confused about and uh, you know it's something that i have always been curious about it's been something that i have always been uh, uh also committed to learn more about um and for that i thought one of the one of the best people i could bring to this conversation uh is somebody whose name is anthony chetri so i'm going to give you a personal introduction of anthony anthony and i met in a training uh process in bangalore india and um it was very obvious for me in that workshop space that anthony was very vocal very opinionated very very passionate about the work that he does um but it was really you know during a break uh when anthony and i were seated on the couch uh, in the lounge of that hotel where we ended up having a conversation around lgbtqia representation on all matters that we talk about and you know the kind of work different organizations do and uh in a in a very personal vision setting process anthony spoke about how it was important for him to bring up this conversation and help people put you know attention on this matter and uh, you know uh, bring it more um, into the public narrative and normalize this conversation so when i started this podcast and i said okay this is about facilitation and uh, you know of course all of you know by now that when we are saying facilitation we are not just discussing facilitation in workshops and trainings but even sometimes as organizations as leaders of organizations we are facilitating people we are facilitating teams we are also facilitating our constituency the stakeholders that we work with um so in many ways there are two things that we are that are that is going to happen in this conversation one is we are looking at facilitation while we zoom out of our workshop understanding two is uh, we are going to look at what i like to call uh you know uh the lgbtqia in um facilitation practices so we're going to deep dive into aspects of sexuality and identity and what does what does it mean for us to acknowledge this in learning spaces in our design in our decision making all of that so Uh, a little bit more formal introduction of anthony well anthony believes that knowledge is power and truth makes you free 
Uh, he has a double master's uh, in social work from the College of Social Work, Nirmala Liketan University of Mumbai, and also has a master's in commerce from University of North Bengal. Uh, currently, uh, Anthony works with a grassroots organization, and I am going to bring in Anthony himself. Anthony, welcome to this conversation. Thank you, Shalini, for sharing a good introduction of mine. I don't know whether I'm worth uh, to be with you to discuss the queer or the LGBTQ and facilitation space because, you know, there are a lot of people from LGBTQ community and everybody have huge experience because the whole orient, sexual orientation and gender is such fluid that as you go inside and inside and inside, like the onion has so many peels and as you remove those peels, it becomes smoother and smoother. That's, but yes, I love to talk with you on this topic to just to start discussing and also to give vocabularies, you know. When I read a lot of religious book, every religious book, if you open, it says that the world in the beginning had only word. If you open uh, Bible, if you open uh, Hindu uh, in uh, holy script, scripts and all, it says that Adi me Shabdatha. God was also not there. Words were there. So I think what you speak and I speak, the word defines, articulates the whole world, our dream, our aspirations. And facilitation is such a space where we speak the word that we speak. And that's why it's very important that everybody's experience gets articulated in words. And I give my word to you, you give that word to others, and that's how the experience is shared. So with that understanding, I want today to talk to you, and I'm so happy. Uh, to introduce myself, uh, my life, if you say, when I was brought, born and brought up in West Bengal. So a Bengal um, which had huge revolutions um, lit on li in literature or in any spirituality, in freedom fighting, if you see. Um, as I'm Bengali, maybe that's why I'm proud to say all this, but it is for all other states. But still, I remember when I read Rabindranath Tagore's um, Chokher Bali, wherein a widow falls in love with a married man, and it was written long back. When I read Tagore's Ghore Bairi, where a married woman falls in love with the husband's friend. So the society was much, much liberal long back. So reading such book, talking about that, discussing, was never a taboo. So sex and sexuality was talked, uh, was discussed to a large extent in my family too. And I had... We had no inhibition in that, but still there was in that discussion also there were boundaries and all. So I was born in a family where my father was a Nepali Christian, my mother was a Bengali Hindu. So you can understand the four kind of religion and religion, values, ideologies all come together, maybe in the dining space, maybe in the um, drawing room 
or while watching TV. So all these values come together, we discuss. So from that point of view, I was brought up in a multi-values, multi-ideological ways. To add to this, my mother was more coming from a communist ideology. So, and my father was just opposite to that. My mother is to a large extent agnostic to religion, but my father was too much religion. So brought up in that family, where always I was taught to be empowered, to speak out, to be what you are. In that space, from that space, when I went out in my school, in my college, in my university, I found that the world is very different. The world doesn't accept the difference. The world doesn't accept the diversities. Um, and also one of the things that I always reflect, that when I, when I was out in the world, I always found, I always tried to get recognition from the male men. Even if the women were accepting me, but that was not very important to me. Because men laughed at me, because men made fun of me, but at the same time, parallelly, all the women friends of mine, women teachers in my space, my mother, my sister, they all accepted me what, for whatever I was. But still, I was fighting and I thought that if I, if somebody would at that time would have said me, that you did not need recognition from men. If women are recognizing that recognition also is very good. But this, so I don't blame to a large extent the society, but also my aspiring to be accepted by only male made me my beautiful years of schooling, college and university really very sad, very struggling because in a way, I was queer. Queer in a sense that being a man, the society wanted me to be masculine. And I was not masculine. I was feminine in all aspects. The way I walked, the way I talked, the way I felt, the way I uh, we thought, everything was feminine. I mean, I'm not talking about female, but feminine. So my thinking, I was sensitive than more male. I was more soft. I was more graceful. This word at that point of time was not acceptable by the men in the society to be there in me because I was a man. So my fight started from there and I didn't know how to handle it. Shalini, trust me, I tried to kill myself because my school days, my universities, my colleges were all horrible. People laughed at me, people abused me in a slang language, people laughed at me, made fun of me. I had no friends. I had friends, all my female friends. My father didn't like my femininity, but my mother never questioned on that, never discussed on that. She felt that it was very normal, but for my father it was little strange. For my sister, she never discussed on that, why you walk like this or talk like this. But all the males asked Anthony, why you are talking like a female? Why you are walking like a female? So even if I was accepted and never questioned by female, but I was always, um, I always felt that no, these are not important, but male are important for me. They should not laugh at me. They should not make fun of me. And I always tried my best to be masculine. <laughs> but actually I couldn't because it's something 
I am born with. There is nothing that I injected or I tried to that. So with this dilemma, with this struggle in my life, you know, if this struggle was not there, I would have been much, much maybe intelligent, much successful because all my energy went on hiding myself, pleasing somebody. And with that all, I come to Bombay to study my social work in Nirmala Niketan. And first time, you know, metropolitans are so good in a way because anonymity is there. So I get, I was in Jalpaiguri, every nook and corner knew this is Anjim. So I couldn't hide myself. But some first time I came to Mumbai, my identity as an Anthony was not important to anybody. You eat, you dance, you walk, you whatever you do, nobody is bothered about it. That was a beautiful thing I liked. So I could be what I am. Second thing, my college, my first in Bombay, uh, the introduction with Bombay was through my college. I didn't know Bombay. I went to college and through college I knew Bombay. Or which is now called as Mumbai. So, in my college, my principal, my faculty and some of my friends raised me for the first time in my life. Oh, what a beautifully how you talk. Oh, how beautifully you sing. Oh, you dance also so well. I was at the age of 26 at that time. First time in my life, people started praising me, both male and female. And that's when I thought, that femininity is my strength because the way I talk because then I remember an incident in a, I was placed in JJ hospital in an HIV ward with an ART medication center and there was some uh, program and the chief guest was coming late and I was asked as a student social worker to manage the crowd but I, every time I went to my supervisor and I said I can manage if I can tell story to them. I don't know why. I said, if I tell story, I'll engage with them. They will not shout. They will not move around. Allow me to say a story. But they said, what, Anthony, you are a fool. You, they, these people, they are from uh, Mumbai slum cities and all. They will not, they are all busy people there. You just shout at them and make them quiet. But I was insisting. I want to say a story. I, I don't know why. But then I said a story. They accepted because the chief guest was too late so they accepted okay go and tell story and I told a story with my broken Hindi I was first time coming out from Bengal so with all my Bengali accent I started telling a story about two stone that was my first conscious uh, facilitation space you can say I did small small training but that was more small but here in a big crowd I am standing and I am telling a story story about two stone uh, stone which allowed him itself to be cut into a sculpture and transform itself into a god local god god and the other stone or rock you can say did not allow the sculptor to cut him into a beautiful space a shape and then how that all thing. So that was the story. Pin drop silence. I was surprised. My supervisors were surprised. And next day morning when I go, the principal comes to me. 
and tells Anthony, you were fantastic. What beautifully. And then after that, I was telling only stories in JJ Hospital to the HIV. People asked to write me story, tell me story. And that's when the praise came to me, now that you are you speak so well, the way you speak. And I understood stories so that I was different from others. The way I speak, the passion, the femininity that molds in my uh, facilitation. And then I started giving importance to my words, that how I speak, what I relate, what I talk. And I was proud of my femininity. So the first time I bring in my femininity, to the space and I see that everybody loves that. 26 years or till my 26 years of age, people laughed at the same thing that I had. And now in Mumbai, people who are intelligent uh, from an educated space, they are all praising me. And then that's the time when I realized that I should be proud of my femininity. And that's when I, when I started my facilitation. Any facilitation. And you can imagine I used to train Anganwadi workers on how to use condom. Because I was working with HIV and AIDS. I started talking about sex and sexuality. I started talking about penetration sex. NACO used to give a model of a penis, erected penis, I used to show I was the only male and they were all female of my mother's age and I could very comfortably, very nicely, I used to uh, give training and all the women never ever told that no, we don't want training from Anthony, he's a male and these all things, we want to listen from a female only. You cannot imagine the next year I was placed in an organization called Creative Handicraft, which is a fair trade organization in Mumbai, run by only women. And I had some female friends and myself from the college, we used to go every week to this organization. The day I used to not come because maybe I was sick or I had some other work, the women used to ask my female uh, college friends that, where is Anthony? Why didn't he come? And I remember one of the uh, girls said that, Oh, when we don't come, you never ask. But when Anthony doesn't come, you tell. And you know, the answer that he, she gave, she told, and I till I cry when I listen that, she told that Anthony being a male and still understanding the pain of a woman like me is something that I never found in any male. And when he said any male, means he was expecting that from a husband, from his former son, from all the male, maybe father, brother. But they were surprised to find that Anthony empathizing to extreme their pain. And I used to do that and it used to come naturally. And this, these are some of the words which encouraged me to bring my femininity my queerness of femininity, the masculine, the normal one to be unusual, to the space in my facilitation space. And it worked. At least it said, that time I was, I will come back when I was consciously using, but that time I was unconsciously using that there is no binary in gender. 
that I was unconsciously presenting and maybe people were picking it up, both male and female. And then unconsciously they were moving into gender fluidity. That means a male, while participating, they used to also bring the feminine characters of theirs. And female, while in my facilitation space, automatically used to bring their masculine and that both feminine and masculine, irrespective of which gender they were, was flowing in. And I understood that this gender fluidity only creates that space of uh, confidence, space of safety in a facilitation space. So then I finished my master's in social work and I became lecturer in St. Xavier's College in Kathmandu, uh, teaching social work. And after that, to many organizations, PRIYA, Center for Policy Research, Caritas, IGSSS, I moved and I, I confidently and very nicely took my femininity in every space that I entered. People could not ignore me, people could not reject me, but people became curious that how Anthony can be so happy being a male and entering the space with such femininity. And that time I understood what gracefulness means and I consciously started being graceful, which is a one character attribute of femininity. And that's how I am here, with all ideology, with all femininity that I have. Wonderful, Anthony. That was such a beautiful story. And uh, I'm amazed at the journey that you've made both as an individual, but also as somebody who, uh, you know, relates to the LGBTQI spectrum and, you know, is working in the facilitation space. I think you will be a tremendous source of inspiration to a lot of facilitators, uh, you know, who are perhaps uh, engaging with their own identity and, you know, uh, and also trying to understand how they bring it because, uh, into facilitation spaces because, you know, I, I have always believed that facilitation is such an extroverted job. Like you are out, out there, you're out there in the middle of people, in the middle of groups, in the middle of teams. And uh, if there isn't a sense of acknowledgement and honor and respect for who people are, including the facilitator, then can that space, one, be a safe space to learn? And two, can it actually be a thriving place for people? Because learning means it has to be a sense of thriving environment. I want to go back to your story and pick that moment where you said, at the age of 26 is in, you know, in Bombay, in your college, is when you found a thriving environment. And then that made me wonder, as a young person in a learning institution, you found a thriving environment and it was, um, it was also from a place of, because you were experiencing appreciation for your skills, for your talent, for, um, for just who you were, right? So um, I wanted to tilt that a little bit and describe a thriving environment for a uh, you know, a person who relates to the LGBTQI spectrum and what does it mean for educators, trainers and facilitators to build those thriving environment for 
young people who are, you know, trying to build their own identity and are aware that in terms of, you know, this this whole dichotomy of feminine and masculine and, you know, they're, they're engaging with that dilemma and perhaps a lot of them, I've, I have met a lot of young people nowadays and I feel that they have so much clarity on who they are. Like sometimes I'm amazed. I'm like, wow, how, how was I not like that when I was 20 or 22? Um, but I still want to engage with that question. How do educators and facilitators uh, create a safe and thriving environment for young people or for that matter participants who relate to the LGBTQI spectrum what needs to happen in the design uh, for that to happen? You know, I want to answer it at best because many thoughts are coming around. When you become an educator and facilitator, one of the things that you have to keep in mind, I feel, you have to be open as much as possible because people are watching you. You don't have your personal or professional or private life. Because people will be asking you, what type of earring is she wearing? How is it? Because people are talking in their mind or talking. Uh, why is she talking like this? Why is he talking like that? Mm, what is his education qualification? People have a lot of questions. Many of us, what we do is that, being from LGBT community or non-LGBT community, we create that, no, I am Anthony and I have come for facilitation, so I will only speak about the topic. But that is a myth. If you do that, you don't connect with people. That I understood. The day when I understood that, I started the powerful tool of facilitation is that self-disclosure. When you speak about yourself, when you tell about yourself, you connect with people. And I have done that, Shalini, and I have, I have always seen that People connect, whatever they have learned or not learned that is different, but they connect with the topic, they connect with it because topic comes secondary. First, they need to connect with the facilitator. And then automatically, if you connect, that umbilical cord is connected, the blood will flow. So this is the basic thing that I want to say. Yes, as an LGBT person, when I started, so... The first part was the femininity. To take my LGBT, my sexual orientation to the facilitation space, it took some more time. And I remember it was a time when I was working in an international NGO where two couple had come, well, one couple had come from England and they were giving a training on a gender. It was such a beautifully facilitated, they connected with us so well that in that facilitation workshop, I decided that I should come out. Enough, Anthony. You are educated. You are born. After that, also, if you are not empowered to accept what you are, then this education doesn't mean anything to you. And in that workshop, I declared to all my staff that I am a gay. People were sympathetic. People were empathetic. People came, hugged me, I cried, they cried, but that gave me a strength. And after that, whenever I went for any facilitation uh, workshop where I was facilitating the facilitation space, I always made it clear that 
when I start either through my behavior, my body language, my talk, I, this, I tell that there is no binary in gender, no male and female, there is a spectrum of gender there. So that what happens because our language, you know, English or Hindi, they are all so much of masculine face, you know, we say man, we say he. Only it is some suffix or prefix when we add, then it becomes women. No? We add woo, then it becomes women. We, uh, his, when we add a er, then it becomes her. So the whole language itself is so masculine. E, any language you take it. Uh, so to to in, when you come to the space, if you don't break this gender, if you don't gender. Uh, for cubes to gender fluid then it's very difficult because all of the participants who come there come with the gender uh, frozen cubes I am a male, I am masculine, I am a female so if you don't break that then knowledge will not enter because everything will be seen from either masculine spec uh, uh, or from a, a feminine space and then there will always be a clash. Nay, nay. The women says like that. Okay, the male says like that. Okay, this is the thing. There will always be a struggle. So that has to be broken. So an LGBT person, as a, as a gay orientation, when I come to that space, I always feel that I should be open. People should know about it. So I tell everything. I, I just laugh and say, you all may be laughing at my femininity, right? I am a little bit feminine. Would you accept that? I say that the first eyes melts. People all smile because when you enter the way you walk, people understand. Oh, this this man is a little bit feminine, and they take they tend to take it in a uh, fun, in a in a way smiling, giggling. That is broken when I personally accept in front of all of them that you know I am feminine. I talk like a girl. I maybe like a woman and all. So, would you not mind, Rana? And everything back. So, that space which was out of the brain or the cognition which was occupied, oh, Anthony is like a female or this uh, facilitator is like a female, that goes out. The first barrier, that thinking when the person is accepting that he is a feminine, a feminine in her way of talking on, or any activity, so that moves. Second, when you say, but you see, I am a gay and I love men. Then the other thing also breaks down. Oh, he's such an open person. He's such brave. And these are the thinking that goes through. Oh, he's courageous. Oh my God, he must be facing so much of discrimination. And that the whole space becomes very human, very feminine. Because male also start thinking sensitively. Men also starts showing sympathy, showing empathy. Female are already that character. And that space becomes very, very energetic and very, very powerful space. And in that space, whatever I see, wherever I want to mold them, take them, they automatically go with me. And this is, trust me Shalini, this is my experience for now I think. 
for 10 years of my facilitation space. And people move, people talk outside, people come and talk with me. They, they share with me their own life and they also open up. So things as it opens up, the more things you can put it inside. And that's become challenging for me to, uh, challenging not. It becomes easy for me to challenge people on different kind of hierarchies and discrimination, be it caste-based, be it gender-based. And I give all my examples that how I was discriminated, how I felt, uh, I felt shocked in this masculine, toxic masculinity. And then people relates, people, people relates because gender is always fluid in every human being. The society always tries to put it into cubes. And that's the problem, you know, when society starts putting gender in a cube, in a man and in a woman, and doesn't allow to flow, then both the gender suffers. And when you open that flow, when it, then both the gender prosper and they'll get open and they can discuss. And that as an LGBT person, as a gay man, with the femininity, because all gay men are not feminine, please understand that. They're masculine men also, because love is love. So I am a gay, but with femininity. So with this two queer thing, I have used this two weakness which world thinks of into my strength in my facilitation space. And trust me, I too enjoy my facilitation space. I love. Wow, it's amazing. I think every time you've spoken, there's just so many things that I want to like convert it into a headline and and I want to like put it on every billboard across the country, actually. Um, so I think there's the many interesting things that you spoke about. One is, you know, how language itself is so masculine uh, and that uh, by adding its prefixes or suffixes is when we, you know, even begin to acknowledge the other side. That's that's one. The other one is um, you spoke of, you know, how um, a, a man who is feminine uh, or for that matter, you know, I, I feel sometimes that maybe a woman who's masculine is, you know, perhaps because of, you know, the feminist movement and all of that still like uh, managed to found some wiggle room. Uh, I know that I could be completely feminine in terms of, you know, my shingar, my long hair and my kajal and all of that. But I have so many strong masculine traits in me, which is what makes me ambitious and hungry for success and, you know, assertive and so many things that come to the table. And I'm very grateful for that part of me. And if had somebody told me to cut that part out, I would not be who I am. You know, I would not be doing things that I do today. So this aspect of fluidity is, and what I'm, what I'm some, sometimes struggle to understand, uh, Anthony, is fluidity is liberating for both sides. Actually, even if you're not in the LGBTI spectrum also, it is a very liberating thing, right? It uh, breaks down all the walls around you. It uh, removes the shackles and barriers that are all inherited from a social construct, not any kind of scientific temperament, but just social construct. And 
gender fluidity is in everyone's interest right so why is it that we fear this fluidity so much is it going to displace something in us what, what why is why do we fear fluidity that's a very good question you know maybe we all struggle i feel if you see our indian mythology shiva where many of the picture of shiva shows that half shiva and half parvati is a gender fluidity example durga who is feminine other way a wife caring children but when asura came he she became masculine see jesus christ because i was brought up in these two religions so i'm giving an example of this two nice little jesus strong young men sacrificed himself to die in the cross sacrificing is also a character of femininity so all of our religion mythology our values which we have kept in high altar talks about gender fluidity is the only way to nurture this environment the nature if you want to protect also this environment you have to be gender fluid i am telling you i, I don't know whether it will be a good quotation or not but just coming out of me climate change or this whole environment nature can only be saved if there is a gender fluidity because there is a fixed gender cubes very rigid gender cubes that's why there is a destruction in this society there why that's why there is a always a conflict between gender and i feel people fear this gender fluidity because gender fluidity talks about Uh, holocracy of a thing there is no power everybody is equal but when there is no gender fluidity it's a power in somebody's hand you catch the power you you froze the power when the gender fluidity the power is flowing like a water you know and when there is no gender fluidity automatically the power will be frozen and get into cube and definitely if in the in the power flowing between you and me if you catch the power the human instinct is that you will hold the power and when you hold the power the be- the power has its beauty but maximum time power is misused so definitely you will try to oppress you suppress you want to be you want to be always be ambitious you want to always be up there and i want you enjoy that to be to be a to be a superior privileged then just imagine why will i uh, throw out the power again to you and why will i encourage gender fluidity so gender fluidity all our mythological religious or nature also talks about gender fluidity. you see except male and female or animals you see the tree or the flowers things though there are some sort of except production there is no gender in anything the whole nature the water will you say it is a female or a male mountain we have termed it as a men or human being have termed it as a male or female but actually nature is gender fluid and that's what i think nature wanted human beings and animals also to be gender fluid. even for animals they only show their gender um their masculinity or, or their gender only to reproduce after reproduction they are all same they all have the same power everything but i think human being 
tried to solidify the power, froze the power and wanted to have it in themselves. Then only they can rule the whole nature and men maybe was more power, got that power quickly that froze the gender thing quickly. So mainly it would, if it would have been women, I think situation wouldn't be different. It would be, it would also be in an unequal society. Uh, so that's why I think the power, use of power and my privilege out of that power, that makes me to be in a comfortable thing. So that's I feel where people don't love gender fluidity. Suppose you see in a child, Shalini, any of the, you just go and observe a lot of facilitation space, just go and observe. You will understand that the facilitator and the participants, the facilitator always wants to be powerful, either to hide their own weaknesses or to show that they know more. Um, and the, uh, uh, so, uh, why should I want that power fluidity? So that's what I feel. It's my view. I don't know whether I'm right or wrong. No, I absolutely agree with you. And, uh, you know, uh, it actually reminds me of an incident in one of my workshop trainings where we had invited a very prominent transgender leader to speak. And uh, it was a completely, it's a, it was an all-women's training workshop. And there was a transgender leader in the room. And, uh, you know, so during the discussion, something that came up was how India is now beginning to acknowledge the third gender, right? So um, this transgender leader said, uh, who's the first gender? So, you know, uh, now it's a group of women, right? So women said uh, men. And uh, she said, okay, and who's the second gender? So women said, uh, that has been deputed to us. So she said, and both of both gender one and gender two decided we are third. <laughs> How did you decide we are the third gender? <laughs> you know, so even while we are beginning to celebrate the, you know, acknowledgement of the transgender community, we have still put a sequence to it, you know, uh, first, second and third. So we are so caught up in these hierarchies. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, this, this power play, um, it just seems to, I, and I'm glad that this is coming up a lot in learning spaces, in discussions, in trainings. It's beginning to come up uh, in many ways. And I completely agree with you, irrespective of what your gender is, male or female. I can tell you, you know, many things about my own self that, of course, as a facilitator, it's scary to be challenged. Of course, as a facilitator, it's scary to feel revealed, you know. Of course, as a facilitator, it is nerve-wracking to appear poorly prepared, right? And the truth about the group, you know, your training room, is they can see through your crap. They can see through your crap. They will read it even before you have begun to speak. So I can tell you, and I say this all the time in, you know, all facilitator training or training of trainers workshop is that you cannot fool your group. doesn't matter what their age and experience is. You cannot fool them. If you're poorly prepared, they will see it. And then you have already lost the plot because you've lost your credibility in that moment. right? And a lot of that perception is created in the first 15 minutes. Uh, and it doesn't really matter who you are in context of you know, society's definition. Uh, and when I say poorly prepared, 
I don't just mean, uh, uh, you know, prepared infrastructurally, logistically, operationally, prepared with the design and your tools. I'm also saying prepared with, you know, you have and having done that hard work on yourself to develop a worldview, right? And for that, one has to learn and unlearn, uh, you know, deal with one's own things. And it's interesting because you said somewhere that we bring who we are into any learning space. And uh, in episode two, our guest also spoke of, um, you know, how uh, we teach what we know. But when we facilitate, we facilitate as who we are, you know. Uh, and it was, it's such an interesting way to frame that. So if I haven't dealt with my own, um, you know, uh, mindsets, if I haven't dealt with my, my own, uh, you know, uh, traits or which might get me to discriminate or not acknowledge discrimination around me, um, my own perhaps, you know, a hatred towards communities and people, it is not going to hide behind exceptional tools and activities. It is going to show up. And therefore, in 2021, I believe that it should be mandatory that all facilitated training must involve conversations around discrimination, must involve conversations around gender fluidity and sexuality, must involve conversations around the birth of feminist movement and why it started and how did it, you know, through the three waves, how did it reach a place of intersectional feminism? I think these are such important things. And when we think of tools for facilitation, we don't really look at these kind of aspects. So I want to, you know, ask you a follow-up question. You, you know, you uh, earlier today morning when you we were talking, you spoke about how... Uh, you know, as an organization, when you're doing a lot of field work, one of the guiding principles of sorts that you've come up with is do no harm. So now I'm very interested in that as a facilitator, right? Uh, because uh, again, in episode two, our guest spoke about uh, facilitators. Uh, you know, if he was to say anything to facilitators, he would also say do no harm. Because if he says do no good, uh, do good, then it's hard to define whose good uh, is at stake. So if you could talk about that a little bit more, like what does do no harm in context of your facilitation mean? See, do no harm when as a facilitator, I come to a facilitation space and where there are more than 20 people sitting, you come into a space which has a conflict already. Now, I explain that. Every one of us, including me, you, everybody, we have our own conflicts, which is back in our head. So 20 people or 40 people, they are in this facilitation space. From morning till evening, we are in different dilemmas and conflict. Conflict with our own gender, with our... Uh, uh, staff, with our colleagues, in our family, everything. So when you enter that space, you become the part of the conflict of each one of them because everybody will speak from their own experience and experiences are based on the conflicts. You, I mean, 
all the experience and learning happens only when you are in conflict, when you are smoothly run, there is nobody who is smoothly run. So, when you get into that space of facilitation where people are in conflict and in with that all conflict, you become the part of each one's conflict. So, when you speak or when you facilitate, I feel that as a facilitator, we need to see that we don't increase the individual conflicts through our facilitation. I don't say anything which again goes to their mind and then another new conflict start or the old conflict they had, they relearn or unlearn and the conflict increases because conflict, any kind of conflict will increase anxiety, will increase everything in their mind. You don't know what is happening in everybody's mind. But that's true and fact that everybody comes with a conflict. So in that context, you have to find out that who are which part of their individual conflict are connectors and which are those which are dividers. Individually, they may have a lot of values, ideologies, uh, people, their co-worker with all they have come. So you have to, or your facilitation skill, you have to understand that what are there which are connectors, which will connect them and will reduce the conflict and what are the dividers which if I say those things that may increase the divider and the conflict in them may more whichever topic you speak be it technical be it uh, your motivation anything then the other thing is that resource transfer because when you are facilitating you are transferring resources resource of knowledge resource of skill Attitude, if I put all these as a resource. So when I'm transferring the resources, I should be very careful that will this resource go and help them to resolve their own conflict or at least they will not get into the new conflict. So that resource transfer, whatever resource you are transferring the knowledge, you should be very careful. So your methodology, your pointers, your knowledge, your skill that you are giving, it should not add to their conflict. You don't teach them anything that enhances their conflict. So as a facilitator, you have to connect with the connectors, exclude the dividers and transfer the resources in such a way that the resources adds up to resolve their present conflict, not add up to the new conflict. Third thing that I feel is that implicit ethical messages that you give during a training. The way you talk, the way you walk, the way you see, the, the body language. If suppose I am a male and I talk only to the male and with female I am a little indifferent or if I am a male facilitator I am more um, learning around women. So that all gives ethical messages and implicit ethical messages and maybe that creates another conflict among the participants. The women may start thinking, maybe suppose if I am a facilitator and I am touching female or doing something wrong, already the female may have a lot of conflict. And that adds up to the conflict, she will become more scared, she will become more, uh, more introvert. Or if they see that you are only talking to the male not to them, then they may say that, oh, this man also is not listening to us only. And the conflict between male and female will get more reinforced in that. So one is the connector and divider identifying. 
second is the resource transfer that you transfer and the third is the implicit ethical messages and last point the fourth point is options i say that as you say the 21st century 2021 facilitation space should be such that we should not as a facilitator go with our fixed module and schedule i think that era has gone we need to change that we know that this is the knowledge these are the knowledge we need to transfer and can we do it in a dialogue in a way that the things move automatically except lunch time and uh, tea time you can put it fixed but rest of the thing you cannot have in a schedule nowadays one hour will speak this two hours 45 minutes no you come with an idea that this is the knowledge and skill i want to transfer and for that i may need three days because that is also important you cannot go long but in three days that is the boundary that much only you fix rest of the thing it should be like a fluid moving up and down and let it be like a life you know indian society is based on circle you know shaadi karenge then also we make a circle if you go to a temple also we go in a circle so we have to understand that in india or in south asia the facilitation has to go into circle and circle and circle then only so that means circle and circle means it needs to give time and fluid can only give time not solids i hope i could share whatever you asked wow oh, absolutely this is amazing so you know andre uh, one of my uh, reflections has been that uh, in many ways uh, there are some organizations both in india and internationally when you're in those training spaces or learning spaces irrespective of whether you're working with young people or adults sometimes very senior leaders of organizations also uh, there is one part of the world which is even begun to acknowledge pronouns you know uh, uh, he his they or she her and they and uh, uh, there in those environments these pronouns are considered important you get it right and you then honor the person by acknowledging those pronouns and identities and at the same time there is other part of the world where uh, you know uh, young people uh, including employees who relate to the lgbtqia spectrum do experience tremendous amount of anxiety stress and isolation because they do not feel honored in those learning spaces organizations being those learning spaces too um and there are you know there's a experience of discrimination there is a fear of being outed uh, by uh, educator or even uh, you know peers and friends in the class uh there is a sense of uh, disengagement from learning process because nobody wants to show up in a learning environment which does not have a culture of inclusion and does not accept and embrace diversity so all of these questions have often made me think that what does it take to honor members who do not relate to the binaries that the society has created and kind of in many ways are gender fluid gender queer 
gender non-conforming, transgender, non-binary, and so on and so forth. And all of these uh, words that I just took, I am still learning what all of that means. Uh, and I feel, you know, it's a long journey for me as a, a you know, cis woman, as a, a heterosexual that too. So I'm going to ask you a very specific questions at this point, And that is, how do I know that the learning space that I am in is gender fluid? Like what are those are there any characteristics for me to say, okay, you know, this is a gender fluid space? Yes. To answer to that specific characteristic of a gender fluid space before that, just want to say is that, you know, uh, whatever the theme of your facilitation space may be, whatever topic you are going to facilitate, maybe many anything it can be. But in all that, gender is a part which many a time the facilitator as well as the participants ignore and there is the danger of that. So to make the space feel that okay, there are women, there are men, there are non-binaries also, those who are in that uh, doesn't identify themselves as a male or a female. There are also people who are heterosexual. There are also people who are homosexual. Because these are the things, you know, binds people to speak or not to speak. So, in a space, suppose male and female is there, definitely whatever topic you give female will find little unsafe because they will say, okay, we'll know less. We have less exposure. Men may have more. So, they will talk less or talk more or vice versa can also happen. So, is it a topic maybe on uh, robotic uh, engineering, but same or which may be on mobilization, whatever. In that space, sexuality also becomes a part because a male gets attracted to a female, female get, may not be sexual attraction, you know. Yeah. So, there is a term called homosocial. It may not be always homosexual. It may be homosocial also. So, that homosocial is the base of all the discussion. I may look at you in the training and find, oh, what a beautiful woman. And I may have heterosocial, heterosocial space. Same way, there should, we should also encourage homosocial space. Where a male you find attracted, not sexually, but attracted to a male, can go touch, talk, doesn't feel that, oh, what others will think. Time, any kind of inhibition exists in your facilitation space, your knowledge sharing or resource transfer will be stopped. So, saying that, that for me to go and say that I am a gay, an open gay, helps other participants also if they are homosexuals there or from LGBTQ community, they will be say, oh, the facilitator himself is a gay and he is saying, so even if I don't say, but I feel very safe here. So now I will talk, now I will take participants, I will be active now. Otherwise, he or she will always in a space of uh, should I, what should I do, my, my behavior should not all, because LGBTQ community who doesn't come up, uh, come out openly, they are always in a fear, scared that nobody should know their identity. So identity of sexuality of gender plays an important role in everything. So having said that, to come back to your question, you know, I will give you six characteristics of understanding that whether this gender, this facilitation space is gender fluid space or not. One, 
is a dress code. If through your after your facilitation or before your facilitation you find that color pink are only worn by uh, women and blue are only worn by men, then you will find you will you should understand that there is a gender solidification, then gender fixity already. Through your facilitation, if this color code gets mixed up, you will understand that it's already is becoming a gender-free space. For example, the chart paper that a male takes is not the blue but the pink, or the chart paper or the or the ink that he takes is the pink, not blue or not black, because the color denotes. So when you will find that this coloring gets diluted and gets fluid, you can sense that already gender fluid started. What a great example. I never saw it like that, you know. Even the choice of chart paper or markers that people are choosing. Marker, what, a, yes. what a fantastic God. example. Even if the flip chart you bring in. Suppose you are a um, female and you consciously put in that all the dress that you come in with blue and the pen that you use blue. Because these all colors are people's mind may record. It is recorded. It is masculine. So when as a facilitator also you start mixing the color. And then you find the people are also mixing the color. And even maybe next day when they come, the dress they will wear, if you are observant, uh, um, that then you will understand that the gender fluidity has happened. If it is not happening, you should be careful that space has not become gender fluid. The second is the emotional response. If you start seeing that male are also crying to the uh, sad stories that you are narrating, women are also become agitating, women agitative, they are also taking a stand, uh, male are also uh, becoming very caring uh, or not very rigid to their ideas. If this emotional responses also, so as a facilitator you have to use soft stories, sad stories, strong stories, stories that may agitate them, challenging them and if you use that and if you find that responses are not as per gender fixity, it has changed. That you find that a man also while sharing, choking his voice or he's crying or the female has become very rigid. No, this is not possible. You have to do this. Then you find that, okay, gender fluidity is happening in your space. Third is responsibilities. If you see that the women are taking the leadership role in managing things, organizing things, leading the group, coming and presenting. Not because people are forcing, but she, she, he, herself. Or in any presenter, suppose a male, in a group, a male is a presenter and he is presenting, but a woman stands and says, I want to add a point. If you see that, that means women have broken that gender fixity and has come into gender fluid. That I can also say that, no, he's wrong. I want to add. And Anthony, before you go to the next one, you know, and here's a very interesting thing that I noticed is often when as a facilitator, you divide the group into smaller groups for group work and, you know, somebody has to take notes. So I have always noticed that the person who's taking notes is either a woman or the youngest member of that group. You know? And uh, I have often like, wow, you know, is it like that, uh, you know, the is it why secretary jobs were, uh, you know, associated with a specific gender? Uh, and it took me a while to catch that, actually, that, uh, you know, in any smaller working group, it is often the women or the youngest member of that group taking notes. 
And therefore, there's another layer of a power play right there. So thank you for bringing that back. So if you see that responsibilities are mixing, which are the responsibilities which were fixed as per gender is now no more there and it is like revolving around, you can understand that there is a, some kind of fluidity happening. The fourth is the interest or the preferences. Suppose um, in the discussion, the woman comes up and shares he, her uh, interest on watching cricket or her interest on watching football. Male comes and talks about their preference for watching um, uh, Birju Maharaj dancing, Kathak, male dancing, uh, or the interest they show uh, more of a singing, bhajan, more of a thing, male started showing those interests in your discussion. So as a facilitator, you have to create that space where they come and share their interest. And then when the interest also is getting out of that gender fixidity role, and suppose they are sharing that I wanted to be a football player and without, or I wanted to be a dancer, you know, but I couldn't, I became, or I wanted to become a singer, a male coming and saying. So the interest, the preferences that they show in the facilitation space, or even as an educator, when you are uh, in an education space where you're teaching or you're in facil learning facilitation space, where you find that the girls are now telling that I have an interest to uh, play rugby, I have an interest to play football, the changing. I mean, they might have come with a gender fixity, but due to your facilitation or educate as an educator for one year, now you see male coming and telling, I want to be a Kathak dancer. So, or I want to wear a kurta every day, uh, not a fixed like a man. So when you see that interest is changing, preferences are changing from a fixed gender fixidity point of view that that is breaking, you can understand that things are changing. The fifth and very important point is the resistance against gender fixidity. When you start seeing that suppose you as a facilitator and you have to act and make your model in such a way where you come and as per gender fixity, create a role. Okay, men, you have to be uh, main orator and you will speak. And female, you just go and uh, you have to be ushers. When you come and there is a resistance from the group saying that, no, 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 why we should do, we should do that, female can also do that. When you see that resistance coming, very automatically and very naturally, you understand that gender fluidity to a large extent has happened. So when somebody else comes and create, fix, fix your gender roles and the participants start revolting and saying or showing resistance and showing that no, we don't want these gender roles. We can also do that. We can also do that. Suppose for a cultural program, the men said that we want to dance. Suppose you decide that, okay, uh, recitation and uh, these all things will be done by a male and dancing. You want dance, you women group can make a dance. And there's a resistance and then if there's no resistance then you will you see you see that you have to do more maybe for a gender fluidity space and the last point the sixth point that i want to say is the word the language that we use if the person is saying suppose he or she or men and women he's not putting men or he's not putting he he's saying that 
the person maybe he or she or the coordinator who will tell maybe a woman or a man like that is giving a difference uh, options then you will understand that he understood that this particular role cannot be of gender questioning the gender fixity and he's thinking that it can be both male or female i don't know and that is the space so these are the six very simple way and that's how our as you said just before that in this 2021 facilitation space we should be uh, gender um, fluid create gender fluid space and all those things so our method this will not come and you have to observe you have to record this thing so all our modules all our sessions our uh, activities should ensure that these things are happening side by side your knowledge that you are sharing if that happens your knowledge will go very rightly in the head and that person will transform because ultimately as a facilitator we want transformation a change so these are some of the points according to my experience and which i have tried to challenge sure thank you so much for that anthony and you know this actually before i ask you my next question often as a facilitator i have uh, gotten confused when let's say i am i'm setting out to uh, you know uh, focus on a conversation around gender and when i'm setting out to uh, focus on a conversation around sexuality yeah. uh somewhere intellectually i understand that the two are not two different disconnected things but for our audience could you talk about a little bit about when we talk about you know uh, while we started this conversation with uh, uh, acknowledging the lgbtqi spectrum in learning processes by uh, we started talking about the need to remove barriers of you know the social dichotomies that we create of masculine and feminine in learning spaces um when we are you know engaging with questions or conversations around sexuality and sexual safety in learning spaces perhaps the starting point is conversations around gender uh, or i don't know so help us understand how are these two at what intersections do they meet and you know and why these conversations go hand in hand like sexuality and gender according to me my i'm saying for my experience gender is connected with sexuality because when there is gender there is attraction and this attraction can be not always be sexual as sexual is one part of the attraction it may be emotional it may be cognitive so when the people of different gender come and sit in your facilitation space there is a connection and that connection is based on gender i talk to you you talk to me i see at you everything is based on that gender attraction and when gender attraction comes in the sexuality also comes in sexuality again doesn't mean only penetration sex it is more than that so when you talk about gender and when you talk about sexuality because these are the two things which are creating stigma discrimination fear uh, the uh, all the other the negative things that uh, fear scared everything because 
and when as a facilitator i speak about gender and sexuality and i break that binary of gender i break that taboo with regard to sexuality because everything that we use in our life then the bolt and the screw or the pen the ball pen you see everything has sexuality in it it has one uh, one hole and one uh, screw so which goes inside when you lock the door the arrow going to the eye of the fish if you see everything that we do think depends is an expression is a larger expression of our sexuality so talking about sexuality is very much necessary with for whichever topic you are talking about so suppose if i am comfortable with my sexuality like for me when i give examples uh, my examples or my self disclosures or my explanations will not be like bounded in one kind of sexuality heterosexuality i can suppose if i give an example because there is uh, yeah, there is no examples on uh, lgbt community in any learning space the the school college educators even they use english language hindi language the stories that are come only between man and women man and women and man and women and when the man and man come it is always fighting it is always uh, showing power uh, how uh, uh, the history raj babar attacked this or humayun attacked them or uh, shivaji attacked a male another king so all our history when it shows both the relationship between two men are more of a fight uh, arrogance and a male and female is more of a love more of a softness so and there is no still now i have not find any literature in a school space or in educational college space university space even in our space where we non academic uh, facilitation space so i think when you talk about sexuality and you don't have to talk about sexuality when you like okay this is sex and all when you give example if i suppose i give an example that you know uh, that day when my male partner came and he asked me a question and this i felt See, subtly and very strongly you have given an example that both male or you know the friend who uh, the i have a, my boyfriend suppose if i tell very casually my boyfriend that day came and talked about that he is from a brahman and he is against dalit reservation see i talked the things is past sexuality is past okay a boy i can all so otherwise it will always say you know that day my wife has come or my sister has come or my wife has come or my husband has come but suppose a woman goes and tell you know that day when my girlfriend um, who is my partner came and told me that the political the economical decision that the government is taking is something wrong and this blah 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 actually she talked about the sexuality and that normalizes the fear the scare a scary anxiety of all kind of uh, sexual orientation may be present in your space so you don't know because a, a facilitator going there and thinking there's only male and female there's only heterosexual uh, is a wrong assumptions when you talk about when you go with an assumption that here there can be a different there can be asexual there can be gay there can be lesbian there can be bisexuals my uh, learning my teaching space or my facilitation space is full of different sexuality than the way you talk the example that you give and for that the facilitator have to be highly sensitive 
about sexuality, about gender, and he or she should not be hypocrite while speaking about uh, sexuality, or he should not like resist himself, but he should speak about sexuality the, the way I told with examples, with colors, with uh, with emotions and everything. So that's how gender and sexuality is very important that you speak in every space. Even if suppose you are a rocket scientist is giving a training in rocket science to the scientist and he tells that you know I was wondering and I was worried and my boyfriend loved me, kissed me and said Anthony don't worry this is the solution. From there I connected and I made this discovery invention. How beautiful it will be. So much messages, implicit ethical messages goes in. And people then think about sexuality. And suppose may, may, it may happen that some men can uh, stand up and say, you know, um, my boyfriend whom I love very much also have said the same thing. You know, uh, I remember in one of the discussions we are having and I was telling him how I am a gay and all those things. Uh, it was about community mobilization. But I always, wherever I go, I start with gender and sexuality so that I break that. Then I get into the topic. It's my way of my, because my trainings are more of a motivational and emotional strategy that I use. Then one of the participants stand up, a male stood up and said, you know, gays have a good color choice. That's why you are really fashionable. You, your dress, your shoe color. See a male standing up and saying that gay have a better choice because in a world uh, where if I water a gay also, people may question whether he's also a gay or not. So that, <laughs> that breaking, you know, so is also, so when you, I, he could say because I give lot of examples, lot of things. Like whenever I give in, I'm teaching on marginalization of caste discrimination, but I bring in their uh, sexuality. I'm talking about mobilization. I bring in about sexuality. I talk about maybe natural resource management. I bring sexuality. And because everything that we do, we use, we speak, everything around, if you see, are connected with sex and sexuality. Um, like suppose you, I have told that I am gay, you know, and you respect me for that. And you also love me for all, all other skills and identity that I but you know, I would love in a space where when I disclose myself in any space that I am a gay, in regular time, a tea time, somebody comes and says, so Anthony, so do you have a boyfriend or do you like any male here who is attractive? And I can say openly, yes, yes, I like that. He's so attractive. How other women or other male in heterosexual space would say. And I have not got that. Even in my office space, people, some of them, most of them know, some of them may not know. Most of them know, have, they have accepted me, but acceptance is the first part of inclusion. I would love when they should come and say, Anthony, in the training, you are so much attracted, you are so much looking at that man, maybe you are attracted to him. And take it in a casual way, which in heterosexual world, you laugh and you joke and pull legs. Same way, somebody should come and make, pull my leg, talk to me, oh, Anthony, you were blushing when that man was speaking to you. And make it a fun. That's a space that we need to create in our facilitation space. And you know, the day when you will ask me, I will also become open. I'll also become, I will also start thinking you understand that. So maybe the knowledge which you will share, I will take it much better way because I know that Shalini understands me. So when Shalini gives me knowledge, I accept it much better. 
So that's just an addition that I want to add. Sure, thank you. My final final question to you, Anthony, is how would I know I'm a gender sensitive facilitator? The characteristic of a facilitator is that first he or she should question all that he or she has learned in socializing, starting from the belief system. Like I have tried to my best. I have questioned at point of time, should I go to church? Why should I go to church? Why should I go for confession? Why should I visit a temple, a church, a mosque? And the day I question, it took time because there's a fear, no? The society has told you fear that if you don't believe in God, you question God, all bad things will happen to you. So when I question and if my mother becomes sick, then and then I can't, I question that's why it happened. But when I can break that thing, all the rituals that I do, the way I think, even suppose I question what I eat, why do I don't eat beef? Because it is because my parents told me or because my religion told me, let me eat and decide for myself. So when a facilitator by himself understands, because we can tell lie to everybody, but we cannot tell lie to ourselves. So truth, truly you tell yourself that have I questioned every discrimination or every beliefs, everything that I have been taught through socialization and questioned and I understood and then either, either I have changed or I have started doing that. Because I found some rational. If you don't find any rational, you have left. But what happened now is that the facilitator now comes uh, because they think only knowledge sharing is the only thing. Okay, I have knowledge, I will come. But comes up with all the brokenness and all the discriminatory characters, gender fixidity. They come and I feel that when you don't have all this and you are true to yourself that yes, today I can be facilitator because even if I am questioned about my belief, which I could not throw it out, I should be humble enough to say to the participant, yes, this is something I couldn't do, Shalini. I am trying my best. Will you help me out? As a facilitator, when I can tell that to participants. So that is one of the character that I think a facilitator should have, should challenge himself, come out of all the... Uh, things that he has or she has socialized with which are discriminatory, which are um, stereotypes, which are full of prejudice and biasness. If that he can shed rationally out, totally liberal and freedom, he comes or she comes to that facilitation space, then I feel that that person is a gender sensitive facilitator. That's the major, then you understand that you are failed. Because you have to understand, nobody will give you a certificate. People can say, oh, Shalini, you speak so well, and then you speak so well. But you know in your heart. So that is one of the things. The second thing is that you should be able to take the challenge of your the participants. Or you could tell about, um, tell about that I don't know. Just, I don't know this accepting that you don't know, accepting that things, uh, the training did not go well as you thought. So, or I, I don't know, I, though I have come, but I don't know many things, let us both of us together explore. 
if that is there because i know everything and i should know even if i don't know i will use some word i will use something and i will fool try to fool and i will make if that is the that is masculinity that is patriarchal so if you can break that and you become like a feminine surrendering yourself is the another character if you can do it in everything from if suppose you come with a schedule and the participants say ye schedule nahi chalega hamare chalega and you accept that if they say that we cannot stay till 5 o'clock we will stay only 2 o'clock and so you have to change that one so when you are you are flexible to change you understand that you are gender sensitive facilitator the third thing all your examples that you give are not based on your success but on your failure and you consciously do that you understand that you are a gender sensitive facilitator most of the facilitator comes and tell you know i did 2000 groups you know i have i am today i'm talking about management because i was the head of this organization that organization this organization it's very patriarchal it's very masculine talking about success femininity and gender sensitive comes when all your examples from a to b from first day to last day you only talk about your failure and shalini i have tried this consciously and now it has become my habit i always say whenever i put anything okay in mobilization this is the first character and all my examples are my failures people connect with you like anything if anthony can feel i can also feel so i can also tell my failure so a mother you know a mother or a woman whomever you have seen in your life have always accepted laughed at their weaknesses have always be submissive always be uh, surrendering sacrificing so in your facilitation space if you can also bring all this not like a man or always you have a flag or a feather on your cap and you show each feather so these are the three things that if you have you are 90% gender sensitive then to know the term of what is gender fluid what is gender what is transgender what is lgbtq it becomes so easy the knowledge will automatically come to you you don't have to seek knowledge knowledge will automatically knock at your door but if these three characters are not there understand that you are not a gender sensitive and this i'm talking from my own experience shalini i i don't know whether there is any theory on this or study done in this i don't know but this is what i have experienced well as far as theories are concerned anthony maybe you know people like you me and more uh, you know leaders from the lgbtq spectrum need to i think we should come together and do like put together researches and frameworks and all of that together because i don't think it really exists because again you know facilitation primarily and historically is very masculine and we've inherited that so uh wow what a fulfilling rewarding conversation and it gave me so many reminders that i think i needed even after a decade of this work uh anthony i'm so grateful that we did this that you joined us in this conversation and uh you know my hope uh from all of this is of course everybody irrespective of their sexuality and gender are able to uh acknowledge the need for conversations like this in learning spaces and therefore create thriving learning environments for young people for their clients um for their constituencies and i i also feel uh that this episode is likely to 
connect and inspire and honor a lot of uh, facilitators who are from the LGBTQI spectrum. Uh, and, uh, you know, and if any of you are listening to this, please know that you're not alone. Please know that your leadership in this work uh, is really waiting for, uh, you know, um, for the kind of beautiful things that you bring to the table. Uh, and Anthony, thank you once again for this absolutely heartwarming conversation. I am feeling so many emotions at this point uh, in my body. Um, and uh, I do want to tell everybody, uh, please find us on Instagram, LinkedIn or Facebook. We will find a way to share more things from Anthony. Uh, and, you know, Anthony, if you have other details that you want to send us, if, you know, in case people want to write to you and so on. Uh, and yeah, please do send this episode to anyone you think needs to listen to it. Um, with that note, thank you so much for the third absolutely fantastic episode of Doing, Being and Doing. Anthony, thank you so much. Thank you, Shadi. Great.